Welcome to the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour with your host and founder, Alex Burr. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. I am your host, Alex Burr, joined by nobody once again. Hopefully, um, that will be changed relatively soon. We should be having uh, our good friend Caleb Lynn on, hopefully, the next week or two. Um, We need to arrange that, but we'll hopefully have him on to talk jazz relatively soon. Um... Not a whole lot to discuss on this episode. Not a whole lot of news. The biggest news, there's there's a few small injuries. Um, I'll talk about one of the injuries in the Nuggets section because it does pertain to Jamal Murray. So it'd probably be more relevant to talk about it in that section of the proceedings. But we'll start with the um, Robert Williams injury out of Portland. He is going to have knee surgery and will miss the rest of the season. Um, really unfortunate stuff. Um, it's not like Portland was going to be relevant anyway, but... If you just go through his games played over his career. So 2018-19 plays 32 games. 2019-20 plays 29 games. Those first two years, he is not playing a whole lot, right? He's only playing eight, nine minutes a game in his rookie season, 13 minutes a game his second season. His third season plays 52 games out of 72, memory serves. Um, up to 19 minutes a game, everyone's like, okay, this guy has something going for him. Averages almost two blocks a game in those 52 games. Second season is when he starts to get on the map. And that's also coincidentally the year where the Celtics make the finals. Um, he gets hurt towards the end of the season, misses the majority of the playoffs, only plays in... Actually, he played in 17 of the playoff games that year, so I, my memory is a little bit off. He did miss um, the last 21. He played... All 61 of those games in a row and then missed the last three weeks of the season or however many, um, however long 21 games is. But I remember him. One thing that's remarkable about him is that he's such a good athlete that it seems like if he gets hurt, he's still going to be the same level of explosive athlete that he was before he got hurt. Despite all these injuries being knee injuries, I'm pretty sure every single one of them has been to this point. And... But then just continuing the trend, he played 35 games last year. And this year, he only got through six before now missing it, before ending his season prematurely again. Did he play in the playoffs? I think he did play in the playoffs last year. Yeah, he played 20 games in the playoffs. So he was back in time for the playoffs last year. Fact of the matter still is, um, this guy is one of the most promising young centers in the league, and he cannot stop getting hurt. And I remember the last time we did a publish the top 100, I had him in the top 75. And I was like, listen, if this guy could stay healthy, he's a top 50 level center. He just frankly is, but he cannot stay healthy for the life of him. He's one of the best perimeter defenders for a center. This side of Bam out of bio that I've ever seen. I, it's, it's a shame he cannot stay healthy. It is an actual shame because he truly is one of the most physically gifted players in the league and also is has high IQ to boot. It's honestly a remarkable combination. When he swung one of the games in the 22 finals. I mean, I know they lost. But his energy there there was like a 5 minute span in there where he just completely took over the game and 
made it his. And that's the kind of player we're missing out on. And he's 26 now. Um, He's already played. This is his sixth season. It's not looking pretty for him. Okay, if we're just going to be honest here, already a few season-ending surgeries. Um, If we're just going to be honest with each other here, you know, on the Basketball Power Hour, I'm not going to say he's done for his career. But at a certain point, these knee injuries are going to start compiling and he's going to start losing a step athletically, losing what made him so special. And he's pretty small. So if he loses that step and his lateral quickness, then he's cooked in terms of him being a starting caliber center. He didn't get a huge contract from the Celtics to begin with. So it's a really unfortunate thing that he got hurt that way. Um, I don't really have much else to add in terms of that. Let's go ahead and talk about the uh, the Knicks here. So the Knicks are four and four. Um, since we last talked, because I believe I got both Cavs games in on the um, last episode. So we're going to do start of the Bucks game, which I talked a little bit on back shoulder fade um they lost 110 105 then they won their next two games they beat james harden in his clippers debut 111 97 and then absolutely took it to san antonio 126 105 i watched the bucks game and the clippers game did not watch the san antonio game for i mean i don't really feel like i needed to um i should just talk about it huh i said i wasn't gonna talk about it There's, let me talk about Jalen Brunson real quick. I feel like I have to talk about this next thing, like the whole thing against Milwaukee on Friday night. So Jalen Brunson's just been awesome this year so far. Um, 22 and a half points a game, only shooting 40% from the field, but shooting 43% from three. So which means he's shooting pretty terribly (laughs) inside the arc. But it's another thing where, kind of like I was talking about with Randall last week. He's kind of like a little things all-star. You know, he jackknifes his way into the paint and then kicks it out to an open shooter. He might not get the assist, but he'll get the hockey assist. One thing I appreciate about Randall and Brunson is that they both really don't care for getting, like, individual assists. Like, Harden will get mad if he doesn't get an assist, but neither of those guys, they just want to get the ball rolling, right? And that's something I appreciate about this team. They want to get the ball rolling. Um... Another thing I appreciate about Brunson, his uh, his willingness. He's always the guy who's willing to step in front of the guy and take a charge, um, especially at his size. You know, that's a huge thing, huge help in the way of rim protection, especially if, you know, let's say Mitchell Robinson is playing a stretch five <laughs> and is being taken out of the paint. Um, that's, that's always an added bonus, but I think that Brunson, to me, was a player I frankly doubted. And even when he was destroying things in the playoffs, I didn't want to believe it was real. But now watching them over and over again. And again, if I watch, let's say, 60 Knicks games this year, I think I'll be all in on the Jalen Brunson experience. Um, I also just want to say shout out to um, Mitchell Robinson, too. I think he's been awesome to start the year after that horrible... (laughs) dreadful Celtics game where Chris Dapps Porzingis just ate him for lunch but other than that he's been pretty awesome I'll I'll have more on him later in the year I'm sure but I suppose we should talk about the end of that uh, 
the end of that Bucks Knicks game of the in season at the beginning of the in season tournament last Friday. So. For those that don't know, because it has been almost a week since then. It happened last Friday. It is now November 9th. Um, when I'm recording this, I don't know if I'm going to put this out on Thursday or Friday yet. I haven't quite made up my mind. In any event, so Jalen Brunson brings the ball up the court. He decides that he calls for the screen, gets the switch on to Damian, gets the switch. Damian Lillard's guarding him now. Okay. He's been killing Damian Lillard all night. I think he has 40 something points at this point. Um... Yes, he finished with 45 points on 30 shots. Pretty good, and 11 free throws. Um, he was killing Damian Lillard all night. But then he gets the ball, right? He or he doesn't get the ball. He brings the ball up on a sw- and gets Lillard on a switch, and Lillard stands him up. Lillard, you know, gets him, forces Brunson to pivot, and Brunson shoots it with about seven seconds left on the clock. And mind you, he has not passed the ball once this possession. Now, I'm not justifying what happens next, but this is just context for what happened next. Because then Julius Randle, along with a couple other Knicks, including Jalen Brunson, all are walking back on defense while the Bucks are up one with about 45 seconds left. I don't remember exactly how much time was left. Um, in any event, it was a really close game with not a lot of time left on the clock. They're walking up the court on transition defense, and wouldn't you know it, a buck comes streaking out of nowhere, gets the layup, make it a three-point game, and then the next possession, there's more ball movement, but it doesn't matter because <laughs> same result, and then the Knicks end up losing that game by five. There was a lot of things bad that happened there. For one, let's let's start with the obvious. You cannot can't no no matter how frustrated you are with Jalen Brunson there, Julius Randle. You cannot you are the leader of this team, ostensibly. You cannot walk back on defense there. That is not that is such a bad look, such an, a horrendous look for the leader of the team that you cannot do that. However, <laughs> In my best Stephen A. voice, that which was that was not, but you get the idea if you're listening to this. Most sports fans know the Stephen A. voice. Brunson also aired by dribbling the ball for that entire possession, not passing it a single time, not passing it, and then asking for the ball back. Even you got to move the ball. Your offense is predicated on, okay, we're going to drive it inside and we're going to get the best shot available for our outside shooters. That's literally the Knicks offense. And the Knicks shooters aren't, well, okay. We have RJ at 47% from three right now, which is actually kind of insane. Brunson at 43. Um, DiVincenzo at 37. Grimes at 36. So you have shooters. You have capable shooters. Quickly's a little down. Hart's not shooting well, but at least he's shooting more than he did last year. Um, Randall obviously is starting horrendously, but he was played a lot better in the Clippers game. I have to assume this first game. I didn't check the box score for that game yet. Um, the point is, you get stuff going by moving the ball. So I understand it's kind of like a compound reaction thing, right? One of these things doesn't happen without the other. But you can't do that. You have to at least jog back. Because if you jog back, then that even jogging back prevents what happened. Because the the Knicks ostensibly had the advantage coming out of the coming off the missed shot from Brunson. 
they ostensibly had the advantage, but it didn't matter because the Bucks were moving at regular speed and the Knicks were moving in slow motion. So I don't remember who cut and got the basket. Let me look at the... Um, it doesn't matter. The point is... You guys aren't good enough to be loafing like that. You're just not. You had a chance to steal a game from the best team in your conference. Now you could quibble with it, or are they the best team in their conference? They should have beaten both of the best two teams in their conference right now. Now, again, the Sixers technically have the best record, but we all know who the actual best team is. They should have beaten both of them, and they didn't. And they only have themselves to blame. That's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So... I think on that note, we're going to spin the wheel. I'm going to make sure the Thunder and the Nuggets are off the wheel before I spin it. They are. So let's go ahead and give it our first spin of the wheel. I'm going to turn the volume down so it's not, like, blaring today. Um, so I'm hoping it's Eastern Conference team today. You know, maybe one East, one West. You know, I'd like a little variety. But obviously, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> I feel like this happens every year. I feel like we always do the Pelicans early every year. So we get the Pelicans for our first um, spin of the wheel. Now let's go ahead and do our next spin. Please be an Eastern Conference team. Please. I wouldn't mind the 76ers, actually. That would be... <laughs> Funny enough, the 76ers would have... It stopped right after the 76ers. And it landed on the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> That is actually kind of hilarious. I'm glad I'm getting the Bucks now because they're still, they're pretty healthy at the moment. Um, and the next team on the wheel would have been the Heat. So that was actually kind of good because Tyler Hero is going down and I don't want to frankly analyze the team without Tyler Hero at the moment. Um, so that's good. Tyler, the, that's a, my, one of the minor injuries. I mean, for those that care, he's going to be in a walking boot for 10 days and he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. So he'll miss what? probably seven eight games not anything i'm too terribly concerned about but with that in mind our two teams for next week are the pelicans and the bucks that'll be a whole mess of fun but now ladies and gentlemen let's go to the oklahoma city thunder if you need a reminder for our teams this week it is the thunder and the nuggets and i want to start in oklahoma city i think that they're one of my favorite really they're so much fun to watch <laughs> just an incredible amount of fun um so since last thursday they lost to the warriors 141 139 in we'll, we'll call it a controversial finish um might have been a missed offensive goaltending on draymond who's to say they would have won still but um they, they lost so then you have them beating atlanta 126 117 and then you have them beating Cleveland last night, 128-120. Now, there's a lot I was questioning about this team, right? And if you listen to our um, on Back Shoulder Fade, the over-under pod that we did with JD, Zach, and Caleb Lynn, um, you'll know Zach Griffith was incredibly high on the Thunder. You'll know he had... I'm trying to find the right word for it. Just a crazy amount of optimism for them, right? And to be honest, I was a little bit more of a skeptic. And there was a reason for my skepticism. It was number seven, Chet Holmgren. I didn't know what to expect from Chet Holmgren. I'll, I was like, is this guy going to be any good? Is this guy, you know, what, what is his deal, basically? 
because you know I knew what to expect from Shea, and Shea so far has just done what he's he's picked up where he left off last year: twenty-eight, seven, and six and a half assists, two point three steals, um, fifty-five point six percent from two, only six point three free throw attempts, which will go up through the course of the year. He shot like thirteen last night against Cleveland. That'll be fine. Um, Jalen Williams and Lou Dort and have been pretty steady as well. Um, Jalen Williams at 17 points a game. Lou Dort at 15. Um, Holmgren, though, <laughs> was a wild card to me because I didn't know what this guy's deal was. At Gonzaga, because this happened the last time Oklahoma City acquired a Gonzaga big man, let's say, because they didn't draft DeMontis Sabonis. And DeMontis Sabonis didn't thrive in Oklahoma City, but just just venture down this lane with me, will you? Because it'll make sense where I'm going with this. So both of those guys played with a, a better suited for college than NBA type center in Karnowski. I don't know how to say his first name. Andrew Timmy. Sabonis played with Karnowski, obviously, and then Holmgren with Drew Timmy. Both of those guys were held back in what they did at Gonzaga by those like superior college players. But then they got to the pros. Obviously, Sabonis didn't look like a star in year one, but year two, Sabonis was looking pretty great. And then year three, obviously, took a huge leap, and we know where it went from there. So I think that Chet, we're seeing now with the shackles taken off of him, I did not expect him to be this good of a ball handler. I did not expect him to be this good of a shooter. His shot looks insanely good. He's shooting 90% from the free throw line, 56% from three. Now, obviously, that's that's going to sustain, guys. <laughs> He's obviously going to shoot that well from three. In all seriousness, he's... With how open he'll be because of Shea's attention, he's gonna probably shoot 40, he's gonna shoot better than the average shooter. So his shooting numbers will probably be better than what he actually is, but his amount of touch is there. Like, he can shoot. This guy can make jumpers. And he's averaging two and a half blocks a game. Like, his wingspan, there was one play I watched. He was at the block, right? Jared Allen gets a rebound at the um, charge circle. So he's a good three or four feet away from Jared Allen. He gets over there in a second and comes over and blocks a shot last night. I couldn't tell you the amount of times I've seen someone get over there and block that shot that quickly. It's like a thing Giannis does. And this guy's 20. (laughs) It's so, I don't think we can appreciate, you know, Obviously, this guy's real thin, right? And we saw that. Um, if you watch the Atlanta game, <laughs> I don't know the um, the Hawks play-by-play announcer. I think I know his name, but I'm going to just Google it to make sure. Um, Hawks play-by-play announcer. Bob Rathburn. Bob Rathburn said, boy, these guys aren't very good at cleaning the, the defensive glass, huh? And <laughs> that is an accurate statement. The Thunder are a subpar rebounding team defensively. But they make up for it with their vigor on the offensive glass. Um, Chet hits the offensive glass well. Lou Dort hits the offensive glass well. Shea hits the offensive glass well. Josh Giddy hits the offensive glass well, who I will have I have thoughts on. Um, Kaysan Wallace, when he plays, who I also have thoughts on. I have thoughts on a lot of these guys. This team hits the glass when they can. It's just if you have a guy who's strong, right? Like, let's just say a guy, hypothetically, like Clint Capella. (laughs) This is hypothetical, of course. 
um, who maybe grabbed, let's see, how many offensive rebounds did the Hawks grab on? The Hawks grabbed 25 offensive rebounds on Monday. Clint Capella grabbed six. Jalen Johnson grabbed six. Onyeka Okongwu grabbed six. Sadiq Bey grabbed four. You can see the... I'm not saying this is Chet's fault. But you can see the weakness, right? You can see... Okay. You can see maybe the flaw, I'll say, in the structure of this team. But you know what? Chet's shooting, right, makes it easier. Like, this team would be perfect for a guy like P.J. Washington, a guy who's bigger, like, size-wise, like, muscular-wise, but not, you know, maybe height-wise isn't the tallest, you know? Maybe you bring in a guy like John Collins would be great for this team, someone like that, you know? Either you bring in a strong, over undersized four, or you bring in a five who can't shoot, maybe like a Jonas Valanciunas, but Chet can cover for him defensively. Chet unlocks a lot of different things for you in a lot of different ways. And I think that's going to be his real value to this Thunder team is that if he if his jumper is real and he can actually space the floor like this, then he's going to be the guy who's going to make them unstoppable on offense and can cover for anybody's weaknesses on defense. This team... I'm trying to find the right way to phrase this. This team has a lot of holes on defense. But Chet... Chet's rim protection covers up a lot of that. Now, he does need to... Like, again, he just needs to put on weight. But if you play him as a power forward next to a guy like... Again, let's just throw more guys out there. You play him next to a guy like Vucevic. You play him next to a guy... The nice thing about this is that there's a ton of centers who would be useful, who would be more useful playing next to a guy like Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren could probably save a lot of guys' careers. Hell, you could put him next to Drew Timmy or Luka Garza. <laughs> Nas Reed. I could just name centers. I don't understand. The Thunder need... They have... Okay. The Thunder have so many draft picks. Go get a center. Go get a center. Who cares? Go get Clint Capella. I said Clint Capella was washed on last week's podcast. He'd look great next to Chet. He'd look so good next to Chet. Go get... Go get James Wiseman. Who cares? Maybe he saves his career. Probably not. But who... You know, who knows? Get Zach Collins. (laughs) Don't get Zach Collins. Um... Dwight Powell. Maybe he saves Dwight Powell's career. Who Who can really say? Now, I think the problem with that is that Shea lives in the paint, right? <laughs> the real problem with that supposition. So you ideally want a guy who can shoot. And guys who are bulky and can shoot don't grow on trees, right? I think the only guy who really fits that description is like five years ago, PJ Tucker. Maybe you get OG Ananobi and give him a max but then you'd have to it's gonna get complicated but there's there's a path here is what i'm saying you just need to get you need to clean up your rebounding you can't have this and i'll just say it i think you have an obvious trade chip here and that trade chip's name is josh giddy i saw someone say it on twitter you just can't let him 
this isn't the time for letting him develop. You gotta let him go somewhere where he can spread his wings. He can't shoot. He he just can't shoot. And that's not the, like he can't shoot inside the arc. He can't shoot outside the arc. He could finish last year. I don't know what happened this year. Um, his passing's down because he has the ball less. I think everyone would be significantly happier if he went somewhere else. I think you could probably talk yourself into him maybe not being a franchise cornerstone. Like, here's a comparison I have for him. A little bit shorter, but a little more athletic Keto Turkaloo. But the difference with Turkaloo was that Turkaloo could actually shoot. And, but Turkaloo could handle the ball. Turkaloo was a great rebounder. Turkaloo brought a lot of the same, like, physical attributes to the table, right? And I think you need to let Giddy develop into that player. And I don't think the Thunder have the space for him to develop into that player. And I think Kaysan Wallace is going to take his spot. And you know why I think he's going to take his spot? Because he's already kind of taking his spot. Kaysan Wallace closed against the Cavs last night. It was a close game. It wasn't like, oh, haha, you know, we're just going to throw the rookie out there just because we can't. No, it was close. The Cavs kept it close pretty much the entire night. And they're like, no, we don't want to close with Josh Giddy. We want to close with Kaysan Wallace, who is another impressive rookie. These, this rookie class is, in terms of being able to play right away, I know, I feel like I say this every year, but this year in particular, it's it's been different. Like, actually, these guys look... Kaysan Wallace has looked like a three-year pro. Asar Thompson has looked like a three-year pro. Um, Chet has looked like a three-year pro. No, he is a two-year pro, but same difference. Vic has looked like a two-year pro or a three-year pro. Brandon Miller kind of looks like a three-year pro at times. This year's rookie class might actually be one of the best we've ever seen. Just, I know we say that all the time, but this year's early results. I just, I think Kaysan Wallace... In my humble opinion, since he can shoot and he just, he doesn't need the ball as much. He's such a rugged defender. Now, Giddy is a good defender. I don't, what I like about Giddy is that he does a little bit of everything, but I need him to be able to shoot unless you put him on his own team and you give him the ball, right? Like if I was the Wizards, I'd be calling him the Thunder desperately. I'd be like, here, you know, what can we give you? You know, and I'd be like, hey, give us DeLon Wright. Whatever. I just obviously more than DeLon Wright, but <laughs> give us stuff to help us out. You know, the Thunder need pieces. Maybe Kyle Kuzma. Now, that'd be a funny fit. Kyle Kuzma, Oklahoma City. But the point is, I don't think Giddy is going to be the guy who gets this particular thing done. I just don't. And it's okay to say that. He's a good ball handler, good distributor, but there's a ton of guys on this team who want to handle the ball. There just are. Let's just go through the list. A ton of guys. So we have SGA, obviously. You want to take the ball out of his hands? No. Jalen Williams wants to handle the ball. Lou Dort. I'd, I'd let him handle the ball some. Maybe not a whole lot. But I'd let him, you know, handle it and create for himself a little bit off the dribble. Chet, I'm giving him the ball. By the way, something I did not bring up with Chet. A lot better passer than I remember him being at Gonzaga. A lot better. Um, Kaysan Wallace, he's going to want the ball. Even though, you know, I just said he doesn't need the ball. He's going to want the ball. He played point guard in college. Um, 
and then you know none of the rest of them but Mijic <laughs> if he actually gets on the court he's gonna want the ball there's just a lot of players on this team that are going to say hey give me the ball and clear out and Josh Giddy, I think would be better served trying to learn how to shoot somewhere else in my humble opinion but what do I know I'm just a guy I think this Thunder team even if they keep him would still be pretty damn good. Um, but who, who's, who can say? You know, it's it's gonna be tough, especially with their lack of size in the interior. And I think that this team is gonna be, I really like Jalen Williams, Arkansas Jalen Williams. I really like Holmgren. But Holmgren's playing 30 minutes a game, averaging only eight rebounds a game. And it's not a coincidence. And two of those are coming on the offensive glass, meaning he's grabbing one and a half defensive rebounds a quarter. (laughs) That's not good enough. Shea's averaging more defensive rebounds than Giddy is. And so I just... I think he's... I think it's great. They have a very obvious hole that I don't know if they're gonna fix. And until I know they fixed it, it's it's a little early in the season to project. But I think right now I'd have them hovering around the sixth seed. I don't think I'd be as confident in them as I would be in some other teams. But obviously, early on in the season, you know, we still have a ton of time left. Who Who can really say? So let's go ahead and move on to the Nuggets. Okay, so the Nuggets are eight and one. I don't know if I said, but the Thunder are five and three. Um, the Nuggets have the best record in the league right now. They pulled out a pretty tough game against the Warriors last night, which had a pretty, um, let's say, controversial ending. They've played four games since last Thursday. Um, defeated the Mavericks in the first game of the in-season tournament, 125-114. Defeated the Bulls, 123-101. Defeated the Pelicans, 134-116. Defeated the Warriors, 108-105. Um, I watched the Mavericks, Bulls, and Warriors games. Actually, did I watch the Mavericks game? Yeah, I did watch the Mavericks game because uh, Lively got killed. <laughs> um, I've been doing a lot lately. So we have Golden State. Let's let's start with the... Well, first, okay. I suppose I should talk about the Jamal Murray news. Who will be sidelined for the rest of November with a right hamstring strain? Um, I believe I saw Michael Malone say that. What was his exact terminology? It wasn't just the day-to-day thing and that they don't want him re-aggravating it in the future, which is smart. Now, unfortunately, um, what sucks for the Nuggets is that they're going to miss his shot creation, but it might not matter because Murray's been, you know, typical Murray so far. Um, Shooting pretty great from two, shooting okay, or pretty, shooting pretty great from three, okay from two. But Michael Porter Jr., I feel like, has been pretty awesome this year um, on both sides of the ball, averaging a whopping two assists a game, which might not seem a lot, for, but for Michael Porter Jr., it seems like he's whipping the ball around the court. Almost a block a game, again, which might not seem like a lot, but for him, he's playing inspired defense. Um, eight rebounds, 16 points on 46 38 91 shooting splits 
he's just been looking awesome so far. He's the kind of guy that, honestly, he's making stuff happen, just making intuitive plays. Again, and I know it seems weird to say, but he is making some great passes. They're not always leading to assists. But if he can continue to up his, you know, I wouldn't have ever said he was a dumb basketball player, but he wasn't ever, you know, he wasn't out there looking to create for his teammates. He was always looking to create for himself. And the problem with that approach is that, okay, I'm Michael Porter Jr. I'm going to create only for Michael Porter Jr. And now we're starting to see his maturation when he's 25, which makes sense. This is about when most players, especially when you're playing with Jokic for so long, this is about when they should mature. And he, I think, honestly, if he continues playing this way, and he was pretty awesome in last year's playoffs too, um, and the lapses continue to decrease as they have year over year, we, I, I have a take. Um, about him is that he might be the James Worthy of this generation. And let me expound. James Worthy was a number one pick. And while Michael Porter Jr. was not a number one overall pick, he would have probably been top five had it not been for his injuries. So you guys have two pretty, pretty great players on your team already. You add someone the caliber of Michael Porter Jr., that's pretty unfair, all things considered. And his shooting's been amazing. I think his finishing, you know, just always is amazing. Again, I think if he's playing like this, the Nuggets are going to be a real problem in the playoffs. And I think he deserves, he really deserves a ton of credit for how he played in last year's playoffs. Like, I'm going to pull up his playoff stats from last year. Because I don't remember how exactly they were, but it felt like he took a huge step forward. Um, so 20 games, 13.4 points, 35% from three, 42% from the field. So not as good as I remembered, but eight rebounds, um, 1.6 assists. So the, the signs of the increased production were there, <laughs> in a sense. And I think that he deserves a ton of credit for just improving his game and just getting better as time has gone along. He's been a polarizing player since he's gotten into the league. (laughs) There was a meme going around on Twitter. It was Twitter. Um, a couple weeks or yeah, a couple weeks ago, someone has to get four assists to save your life. Michael Porter Jr. Cam Thomas, who are you taking? And someone said, just someone give me the gun. I'm taking my life now. And he hasn't gotten uh, to four assists yet this year, but we've gotten to three. There hasn't been any zero assist games so far for Michael Porter Jr. so far, which given his reputation, you would not think would be the case. And I, I, I think, again, it just goes to show the growth as a player. He's also making a ton of great defensive reads off the ball. He just... If you told people four years ago this was going to be what he is now, they would have laughed at you. But he's matured so much. He's gotten so much better as a player. And he deserves a ton of praise for that. And he deserves, you know, and if he can stay healthy again like he did last year too, which is going to be huge for them, it's going to be a massive difference maker for them. Especially, you know, helping carry this, the burden with Jamal Murray being out. 
and another guy they're going to have to ask help carry the burden is going to be Reggie Jackson, who is inexplicably, I think he started last night. He started the last two games. Um, looked pretty good, but I, I personally would not start him. I like when teams elevate their third string point guard and keep their scoring point guard off the bench. Um, so far, Reggie's been averaging 10 and 4 off the bench, 10 and 4 assists off the bench. For the Nuggets, I think I would have kept him off the bench and I would have started Colin Gillespie. You could have played Reggie Jackson more, but I still think the Nuggets are one of the few teams that still run pretty much an all-bench lineup. And without one of your... With the exception of, they were playing Jamal Murray alongside their bench units. So, I would just keep Reggie in the bench units and i just play Reggie with that bench unit and just you have a little bit of creation obviously they're going to be all keyed on him but i like peyton watson he's shown a lot of potential i don't think he's that guy yet he's shown a lot of like okay we can get him going off of movement stuff he's shown a lot of okay we can get stuff going off of cuts but i don't think he's that guy to get stuff going off of like okay i can get this on my own off the bounce same with christian brown you know these guys are like great role players but there's a reason they went as low as they did um zeke naji same thing you know these guys are all like great complimentary players and peyton watson i think the first game of the season had one of the best blocks i've seen this season just utterly skying and taking away a shot i think it was from lebron yeah watson's averaging 1.1 blocks a game off the bench which is actually kind of insane (laughs) um that kid's got a ton of potential he didn't play much last year but i think he could change a lot of things over there in denver I personally, I think I'd run with Gillespie. I think Strother also is technically a point guard. Let me double check. No, he's a small forward. Okay, never mind. Um, Gillespie, I'd run with Gillespie. And he's not probably a starting caliber player in the NBA. <laughs> but, or, or you bring up like Justin Holiday, someone like that, you know, someone who can like, play 20 minutes and get you to your bench, you know, without disrupting the bench's lineup's ultimate goal here. I don't know. I think that there's a better way to go about this, especially since Jokic, for all intents and purposes, is your is your ball handler. I mean, 29, 13, and 8 so far this season. And it's pretty much in line with what he usually does. Obviously, the points per game are probably going to go down, because they, they usually do. Um... But Jokic is going to take on the burden of the playmaking responsibility anyway. Might as well just make it official. And I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to monitor what happens when Murray's out. Maybe this will be a good opportunity for the young players to improve and step up around Jokic. Um, This is a kind of adversity they really didn't have to go through last year because everyone stayed moderately healthy. I think it's interesting... They're kind of getting punched in the mouth this early in the season. And this is, by the way, this is the reason why I didn't really pick them to repeat is because I didn't think them being as healthy as they've been the last few years was sustainable. So I think when I'm watching them on the court as a whole, right, like just the whole team in general, they execute stupendously well. Like they're, they move to their spots. They're exactly where they need to be at all times. KCP, 
tremendous cutter, tremendous defender. Um, Aaron Gordon. <laughs> I think I've said all I could say about Aaron Gordon at this point. Just absolutely amazing on and off the ball. Um, <laughs> just does everything this team needs and more. And he's such an integral part of this team. Like, if they did not trade for Aaron Gordon, this team doesn't win the championship last year. But uh, this team is so well put together, the only thing that will hold them back will be health. And I think that is going to be a huge factor because no team really stays healthy two years in a row. It's not possible. I think one of the biggest things we have to acknowledge is that health is probably the biggest factor in teams winning or losing championships. And no one wants to say it, right? Obviously, you know... Obviously, I don't think anybody's beating Michael Jordan in the 90s, right? But Michael Jordan never got hurt. <laughs> Michael Jordan was a freaking Iron Man. You know, he probably had like a little dings and bruises, but he never was like, oh my gosh, he tore his AC or he tore his whatever. And the one year they did, the Bulls were dreadful. And that was the year that the um, Bulls had to play the Celtics in the first round. And that was the year that he scored 63 against the Celtics. Okay. So the one year he did get hurt, the Bulls absolutely sucked. Okay. The LeBron has never gotten hurt. Why do you think he's considered one of the greats? You know, you just go through the line, right? Jokic hasn't gotten hurt yet. <laughs> Embiid, outside of his first few years, hasn't really gotten hurt. Now, his letdowns have all been, you know, of the I'm just can't get over the hump sort, which is more... In my opinion, I think the criticism is more earned then, right? I think Kawhi, at some point, you know, the injuries just are what they are. And, you know, you just got to be like, okay, the injuries are just part of who this guy is at this point. Can't really. They're just part of the guy's legacy at a certain point. So I think they can be used good or bad against you. And I think. It'd be foolish for me to think that we're going to have another year of perfect health from the Nuggets. Let, like, let's look at the um, 2019 Raptors, right? They were deep enough that they were able to weather an injury to one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, in OG and Anobi. okay? That just doesn't happen, okay? Most teams, they lose OG and Anobi, they're done. But the 2019 Raptors just were like, oh yeah, we can, we're totally fine. We don't need... <laughs> We don't need that guy. They still won without him. Okay, the 2021 Bucks. They they won, they won without somebody. Um, Dante Divincenzo. 2022, they're like, oh, we won without Dante Divincenzo. We can let him go. Turned out to probably be one of the bigger mistakes they've made. I think in this whole run. Um, I think he's. I I think that looking back on it, that was a pretty big freaking mistake. Um. You can sometimes overcome, like, one or two injuries, but I think if, depending on the injury luck, I don't think the Nuggets will be as lucky this year. I mean, hell, we get, like, let's just use the Bucks as an example. That's kind of what I actually mean here. 21. Bucks only lose Dante DiVincenzo through the whole entirety of the run, right? 2022. Who do they lose, like, in the very beginning of the first round? Chris, a little guy by the name of Chris Middleton. <laughs> Who was probably one of the five best players in the 2021 playoffs? Maybe five best is an exaggeration, but definitely on the all-NBA playoff team. If you're going to just do two teams. Definitely one of the ten best players in the 2021 playoffs. You just lose him. 
and they still almost beat the Celtics. <laughs> but it's still, you don't have the same injury luck year over year. And that's okay. I just think we'd be dishonest with ourselves if we weren't acknowledging that. And it's not so much as an excuse as is, it's just a part of sports. You know, it's the same reason why I I think football is more prevalent. We can use the football example. I don't think anyone's repeated since the Patriots in 03 and 04. And football, I obviously, (laughs) it'd be much more natural to blame injuries in football because I, I don't need to tell you why. But it's still the same concept applies here because basketball has been compiling more and more injuries as the years have gone along. And... The next man up in football is usually, I'd say, 80% as good as the guy he's replacing. The next man up in basketball is usually nowhere near the guy, nowhere near as good as the guy he's replacing. Bless Reggie Jackson's heart. At his best, he is nowhere near Jamal. He was nowhere near as good as Jamal Murray's best. Just nowhere near. So. And it's not like you can be like, oh, let's go get a guy who's as good as Jamal Murray to back up Jamal Murray. No, it doesn't work like that. So that's my thesis as to why the Nuggets won't repeat. But I still think they're, you know, they execute very well. They are on top of things. Um, And I, I would be very glad to be proven wrong. You know, I love this team. I love the way they play. But in my head that's that's the reason i have for that so i don't think i have anything else for you on this wonderful episode of the power hour make sure you check out our other wonderful offerings on the podcast network make sure you're checking out um shabby sanity this week um caleb was off i think crying that the it seems like the cardinals are going to hire kyan bloom um i think that's how you say his name i could be wrong um so you know he had to take that off and he had to take off um back shoulder fade as well in which i replaced him and co-hosted that was Zach Griffith. Um, make sure you check that out. We talked a little bit about in-season tournament odds as well as NFL stuff. So make sure you check that out. And then Circle City Cinema, um, we have them talking about, we have Zach and Bryce talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. So you don't want to miss any of the awesome stuff we have on this network. It truly is, I mean, just delightful. Just delightful. I don't really have another word for it. So make sure you check all that out. And I just want to say, if you have any feedback, please, if you have good feedback, send it to at Alex Burr4. If you have bad feedback, send it to at by Dylan Hughes. Um, he wants to hear all of it. And I just want to say thank you all very much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>